What's a dragon? Once again, to the NTZ of Film Season 2. Uh, this is Episode 9. This is the season we're talking about foreign market films made in New Zealand or with a significant New Zealand content. I'm your co-host, Andy James. And I'm your other co-host, uh, Rajiv Mishra. Uh, and today, we are talking about Pete's Dragon. This is the NTZ of Film. With Andy and Rajiv. Dragon Roar. Uh, welcome back. Uh, so, today we're talking the Disney remake of Pete's Dragon, and in the studio we have a very special guest, studio. Um, Steve Barr, who plays Deputy Sheriff Smalls. Guy. Deputy Smalls. Deputy I'll Smalls. go with Deputy Sheriff Guy, that's awesome. Well, welcome, Steve. Welcome. I realised as you. I was Thanks introducing you that I hadn't actually looked up the... <laughs> The name. Stop making us look so unprofessional, Andrew. Stop it. Um, oh, we're entirely professional. In the studio with me is Steve Barr. I'm about to, I'll just do a quick synopsis so we can go. Uh, I've got IMDb here. The adventures of an orphan boy named Pete and his best friend Elliot, who just so happens to be a dragon. Uh, I don't have box office at the moment because this film is still playing. It so is still I'm just, going, yeah. I'm going to leave the box office oh, alone. All those people that care about box office figures, as, you can look at As we're up recording this, it hasn't actually officially fully opened in New Zealand yet either, has it? No, it opens on the 15th, I think. It's true. Steve, yeah, uh, so... Steve's actually in it, so he's seen it. Mm. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. I saw it at a previous so this is almost this is almost like a, an interzative film, but also mixing it in with um, one, one of my favourite podcasts, I Was There Too. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> <true>. <laughs> I was there too. Steve was there. Yeah. Steve, Steve was, was there. there. So um, I'm going to do something unusual. I'm just going to ask you, how did you get involved with this film, Steve? Um, they needed a middle-aged white guy who sounds American. And I think there are maybe six of us in New Zealand. So <laughs> they said, um, hey, buddy, you want to come do this thing? Uh, but the, the the slightly less flippant answer is um, I, I was an actor when I first started out. And it's been like 20 years that I've been uh, writing and producing since then. Um, but when I because everybody in New Zealand is a generalist, um, I thought, hey, maybe I'll get back into acting. So I signed up with an agent named Gail Cowan. Mm-hmm. And when I met, when I went and met with her, I said, I, you know, acting is a perishable skill. It goes away if you don't practice it. And so this is the guy I can do. I can be this guy on camera if you want me to. And I think she maybe sent me up for half a dozen things over the course of a year. So not very much at all, but then uh-huh. along comes Pete and they needed this guy. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, pretty much. Um, so we did a, a few auditions and it was always fun to go into auditions and to hear New Zealanders do their version of American accents. Cause I will not even try a New Zealand accent. Um, and, uh, 
got the call back and I was surprised I wasn't expecting um Dave Lowry the the director to be at the callbacks I thought it was just Liz uh, in New Zealand um, in New Zealand yeah oh, cool. uh and um, oh, wow. so he was there so I was a little surprised um uh which is never a you know you got to roll with stuff and audition sometimes but Liz is so Liz Mullane is the casting director uh and she's great because she always makes you feel like you gave a great uh audition whether you did or not she always makes you feel like you did uh and that loosens you up and lets you play with stuff and um we were actually doing the line that i have in the movie is the dragon it's a dragon that's the audition scene that we did nice and um uh it's not a difficult there's not a lot of lines to it and so uh david just said just play with it just do what you want and i made him laugh by making a khaleesi joke oh good and um i think that's probably <laughs> what got me the gig nice work yeah. yeah they in case people haven't seen the film uh <laughs> steve is the man uh at the end of the trailer that steals the entire trailer by yelling it's a dragon well, i think it's possibly also the line of the film <laughs> yeah i think it is i, it's I watched it it's one of those it's one of those moments i don't know that just kind of really stands out in a great way yeah, it was all the other stuff. 100% without a, without a lie, the biggest laugh I got in the <laughs> entire, I mean, the screening I went to, it was like everyone was laughing at that. That was, that was, that was it. Um, just before we continue, I'd like mm. to mention uh, Gail Cohen. Uh, I've, I've never met her. I've, mm. I've spoken to her on the phone once. Uh, back when I was a student at Victoria University uh, casting a film, and I oh, rang right. her up and I said, hey, I'm looking for some actors. I don't have any money because I'm a student. And mm. she said to me, it's not a slight on her. Yeah. She, I'm sure she's a fine bitch. She said, do you know who I am? <laughs> I'm Gail Cohen. I have people like John Bates on my books. Nice. <laughs> nice. And That's I was awesome. like, oh, okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> so that was my experience. There you go. Cohen. There you go. That's, uh, you know, when, you, when you're uh, signed with a representative, you want a representative who will not take any shit. From <laughs> yeah, so I'm very, when I've got my producer hat on, uh, I have to be very gentle with Gail because she's a badass. <laughs> yeah, she's yeah. a hard ass. She will not put up with shit. And um, yet, when I've got my actor hat on, it's awesome because she's a badass and she will not put up with shit. Everyone, everyone else I talked to, I was like, "Hey, I'm a shoot with no money." It's like, "Oh, you know, we can't oh, really help. That. Maybe we'll put it out to any actors that're looking to put something in their show." Yeah, right. But I don't think Gail Cohen had those sorts of actors that were like trying to boost to their, their yeah, show. Right? Exactly, <laughs> just exactly. like establish people like Steve Barr. By the way, I just realized that I I used a profanity. Do we do profanities That's on this? Fine. That's all right. It's Great. E. If you look oh, on, yeah. Yeah, on iTunes, uh, we just had a, a, another guest who used the word um, lots of uh, profanity for the word penis in the last episode. So awesome. That's fine. Yeah. So excited to hear that one too. That's awesome. <laughs> um, Andy, do you want to? Uh, do you have any thought? Initial thoughts? I've got things to talk about, but I I feel like I talk too much in these podcasts. So take it away. Uh, well, I think just where we're. Uh, Talking about um, Steve and his role, um, how was it? Uh, so you talked about the auditioning, but mm. what about the uh, the actual process of filming? And how long how long were you actually down in the was it just a little town in um, the South Island? Uh, Tapa Nui. Um, yeah, it was um, possibly the easiest and most fun job I've had in my entire life because I I think I had wow. maybe eight lines of dialogue to memorize, but I was on set for thirteen days. Uh, which wow. means I got to just hang out and watch people who are way, way better at this than I am um, be good at what they do. And Sorry. my job was to stand in the background and have my glasses at the tip of my nose and pretend to take notes. Yeah, you, were, you were a note-taking machine in this I was. Film. That was the entirety of my gig. That was, <laughs> that was it. 
And um, but what was what was great was to see all of these, um, you know, everybody from. Unfortunately, I was never on the set with Mr. Redford. Um, yeah, because I just heard he was a, oh, a, just a real gentleman and a great guy. Um, but everybody else uh, who was there have been doing this as their day gig for a long time, and just to watch how um, just in command of their craft they are, you know. Uh, was really great, and that includes David mm -hmm. and Toby. The, the David's the writer and co uh, sorry co writer and director, and Toby is the co writer. Oh, he was on set. He yeah, he was on set. Um, and I, I don't know if we have time, but I, there's a great story about Go, how a professional it. writer works on set. Do a it. good one. Do it right now. Um, there was a time we were shooting in this logging camp down in Tapanui that's supposed to be uh, standing in for Oregon in mm. the states, and. Uh, the blue, some blue lumber mill is that the one? Yes. Yep. Lumber mill, uh, and something came where uh, three of the stars had a scene, and they weren't quite uh, settled on the the motivations in the scene, and so they wanted to have a, an actory thing and maybe consider changing some of the lines of dialogue and, and all that sort of stuff. And so everybody downs tools because that's just what you do. This is the job of the thing is they got to figure this out because they can't play it unless they understand it. Mm. And so Dave walks over and so the three of them huddled around and there are a couple of the supporting actors who it's our job to take five steps back and be available but not butt in. And I noticed out of my corner, corner of my eye, somebody let Toby know that this was happening and he came out and he stayed, I don't know, maybe 50 feet away just quiet. He he knew he was in David the director's island. And he sat down. He didn't butt in. He didn't do anything. But it was David. If you need me, I'm here. But I'm not going to interfere with this. Mm -hmm. And uh, between David and the three actors, they figured out their issue and they said, "Okay, great. Let's move on." And Toby just stands up and quietly walks away. So he made himself available without mm -hmm. intruding upon the process. And uh, so he was an asset to the to the um, production without getting in the way when he wasn't necessary, which I just thought was a hugely professional thing to do. And, and more screenwriters should be taught that stuff instead that, of just how to put things on page. That, that was an amazing uh, story. I wasn't expecting to get so, this sort of insight with yeah, you as a guest. That's right. great, um, yeah. especially because you're a writer yourself. Um, I haven't been on, um, I've only been on New Zealand uh, feature films. I mm. imagine you've, you've done a few Hollywood things. Yeah. Does, the, does the writer, is he often on set doing that sort no, of stuff? No, not often, particularly in, in uh, features. Um, I think ever since the... Those French guys with that author auteur thing <laughs> that kind of changed things like around. Here, the cinema. Um, yeah, exactly. Um, the um, I think it's a lot of times the a, director, a, a, a directors, the genius. Man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I think a lot of times directors um, uh, feel like their authority might be challenged or diluted if the writer is around. Mm. And I think writers have not been their own best friends in this because when they are invited on set, quite often they are detrimental to the process opposed to helpful to the process mm. um but to my mind the the you know just like the dop is a specialist who hopefully has more specialized expertise in what he does than the director does mm. even though the director is going to be really good at it too or else mm. he shouldn't be a director um i you know whether i'm being a screenwriter an actor or a producer i think of the the writer as the same sort of thing like the dop is is the head of department of camera and lighting. Um, and you can think of the screenwriter as like the head of department of story. Story. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And yet still everybody's reporting to the director because the director needs to be the captain of the ship. Mm -hmm. And so the in that 
twisted metaphor, I guess the, the screenwriter would be the navigator. So the director can worry about what am I doing today? Right. I got to get my day because it's so hard and there's so many decisions to be made. And the writer can be nearby making sure that the changes that are made on the day, those are going to have domino effects. And if nobody's tracking those, then when you finally get into the cut, there's, oh, wait a minute, we changed that line, but that line was a setup to three other payoffs and those payoffs don't make sense anymore. Right, right. And that seems like that seems like it happens more and more now. Yeah, I think there's there's quite a bit more overlap between TV and films now. Mm-hmm. And in TV, the writers are given a lot more authority and they're expected to behave more professionally on set because they have that experience that a lot of feature writers don't. Right, right, right. Um, to, uh, and that is just purely because of the, the process. If you're doing 13 one-hour episodes, a director, there might be four or five directors on that show. Um, and they are not aware of what's happening three episodes from now, but the writer has been in that room. And so they know, oh, wait, I see where you're doing this, but this little moment here is a setup for something that's happening three episodes from now that you're not going to be directing. So we got to keep it as it is. And so it was necessary for writers to be on set for that sort of stuff. But in the act of being on set, they learned how to do it mm. and be assets to the production as opposed to tourists. No, that's interesting. So I, I do and, wonder. And with feature films as well is that you mm. – like in the sort of the big Hollywood system is that you could have been the original writer, but then it's been rewritten. Yeah, you might have had 23 A number people. of times, but yeah. yeah, exactly. So who who then would be the you know the writer you'd have on set? It is more anyone, usual any these one days of to those writers a... could have been could have gone off to another project as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. There was yeah, a great thing. Like this, we're say, getting off Pete's dragon, but there was a works. thing recently, <laughs> and we can cut this all out. Um, but um, Deadpool. Um, Sony didn't want to pay to have the writers on set, and so Ryan oh, yeah, Reynolds paid this. for yeah. them to be on set. I read about that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. crazy. Yeah. No, we'll keep it all in. This is uh, this is going way off topic, but yeah, very interesting. Well, when we do Deadpool two in New Zealand, <laughs> then it'll all suddenly be retroactively on topic. <laughs> uh, well, they may very well. They did, of course, do uh, Wolverine Origins yes. in New Zealand. So yeah, who yeah. knows? Is uh, contemplated doing that one for this podcast, but I vetoed it. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, no disrespect uh, to Robert Redford, who I mm. think is one of the greatest actors of our generation, uh, my generation, of the <laughs> of his generation. Yeah. Um, but I felt like he was he was a little bit lacking in this film. Like I felt mm. like, and I and I was thinking about that this morning, uh, and I thought maybe he's fooled me into thinking because I I watched it thinking it was too easy and he felt too laid back, but. And he was funny to get in, but maybe that was what the character was supposed to be. Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I think the, I'm not certain I have a really strong answer to it. Mm. The, he was full of energy from what I understand on set. So it wasn't like he was not wanting to be there or phoning Mm. it in or anything like that. So he seemed engaged um, generally Mm. from what I understand. That's all secondhand. But um, the, and, uh, David Lowry, he's only got, this is only, I think, his second or maybe third feature film credit, but he's been doing this for a long time. Second. Second feature Lots film. Lots of shorts. I just looked it up today to see what else yeah. he's done. Yeah, he's been an editor. Something else. And it was, it was uh, Ain't Them Body Saints with Casey, Casey Affleck, Affleck and Rooney Mara was yeah. his first. Which was a like this. a $4 million and uh, made a big splash at Sundance, I think. Mm. Um, yeah. And there's some backstory that about how Dave got the job that we can talk about too. But uh, to get back on to Redford, um, 
he, for a guy who only has two, this is only his second feature film, he didn't seem flummoxed on set. He knew what he wanted and he was getting good performances out of his thing. So yeah. I would assume that somebody with the skill set of Redford and somebody with the skill set of David working together, that was that character is designed to be that way. Yeah, and I think I was wondering, the more I thought about it, I thought maybe I was expecting something else and then I was given something that I wasn't expecting. So I was like, oh, that didn't, it didn't ring true to me, but I feel like I need well, to watch this second time. We're almost trained to expect the, the crazy person who's got the crazy theory that there's a dragon out in the, in the forest. Yeah, well, uh, are you guys familiar with the original Pete's Dragon? Not really. I, I was trying, I sort of watched it before you did this, but no. Yeah, it doesn't quite hold up. And, and the, um, the guys who wrote this didn't, I don't think they actually watched the original. Right. They're like, it's a kid with a dragon in the woods. <laughs> Go. Go. <Yeah. laughs> um, but in the, um, in the original, that's the Mickey Rooney role. And uh, Mickey played it really, really broad as a crazy drunk old man. Right. That's um, what I was expecting. Right, yeah. which is yeah, yeah. what we so, would expect. Um, and I don't think, like, I'm trying to imagine Redford doing a Mickey Rooney impersonation. <laughs> and I... Probably well, it. that You're would probably be hilarious. It. I'm not certain it would quite fit either Redford or what this movie is. Um, I, David Lowry, uh, you, mm. you talked about like the writers and perhaps didn't watch the original. Now he's he's got a, a strange list of films uh, according to the IMDb trivia page. Take mm. that with a grain of salt. Uh, as influences, uh, the Black Stallion, yeah, uh, Kingdom of Dreams and Madness, the, the Studio Ghibli documentary. All right, My Neighbor Totoro. Another Ghibli film, Spirited Away, and the most strangest one that they listed, uh, 2015's horror film, The Witch. Really? The one that's all with huh. 16th century language? Wow. Mm, yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. I, they, apparently, these are the films he watched in preparation. I was like, what? That's <laughs> interesting. Yeah. I was just wondering, you being on set, did that come out? It was like, oh, okay, we're going to play this scene like The Witch. Never with me, but then again, I'm, you know, um, it does explain some of the Deputy things that Smalls, happened offset, We need you to but... play this more like a 16th century witch. <laughs> exactly. That was actually originally the breakdown of my character, but um, they changed it in post. You're a 16th century witch. I was. To I was. 1970s Oregon. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. In a middle-aged white guy's body. Done. Well, Andy, yeah. you're, you're a Ghibli guy, right? Can you... Can you judge nope. whether the film had any Ghibli feel to it? Or Ghibli? I don't know how to pronounce that. Sorry. I'm not a Ghibli guy at all. Oh, I thought you were. I've... Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. No, um, no, no. I, it, yeah. I think the thing about Black Stallion, My Naval Totoro, and... Um, Spirited Away. Uh, Spirited Away. It's all a young person with a um, non-human companion. Right. Who yeah. emotionally invests into that companion. And that companion gets in, gets in danger... And that's like the primary relationship of the, of the thing. So I can absolutely see. That. Yeah, yeah. I guess yeah. I, I guess I, I was I was trying to get a link, a link with the Japanese sort of thing, but that makes more sense. Like all those films yeah. are about a, a, a child and a, a non-human creature of some yeah, sort. Yeah, and especially in the two ones from um, Studio Ghibli, the they're also not naturalistic. They're magical, magical creatures, creatures, just like Elliot is. Yeah, and like he, somewhat magical in the sense that there's been anthropomorphized sort yeah, of like yeah, totally. putting human aspects into an animal yeah exactly you always do that. good point uh andrew brought up the 70s thing which is another note i've written uh so hmm. my it's first so question okay, is which i kind of really dig yeah i mean i loved it and my wife loves things sort of set in that period and i and mm. i was like i was down with that but i again it made me go why like why why does it happen apart from being cool there's there's got to be a point and i have ideas around that uh but devin Ferracci on um on birth movies death and mm. pointed out that uh they don't make a 
they'll make special note of it. And he feels like a lot of people missed it, even though I, I was working at a place and they were, I asked them about it because I read reviews here, it was set in the 70s. And they were like, no, it's not set in the 70s. And I watched it myself and I was like, oh, it's clearly set somewhere where there's no cell phones. I, I mean, mm. I thought, mm. I thought before I saw it, I thought oh, maybe, maybe they're just in the mountains, there's no coverage, no one ever takes their cell phone out. Right. But then when I watched it, I was like, well, this is clearly a late 70s, maybe early 80s film. Yeah, I would say maybe more 80s. Um, I don't recall having real in-depth conversations about it, but I think cell phones is, is a thing. Um, not having satellite imagery, you know, that that would change the, um, the nature of the issue. Um, and to some extent, though, though, it's a little bit like that. What's that great um, Fly of the Concords quote? Oh, it's not the 70s. It's New Zealand. <laughs> um, I think it's um, there's a similar sort of thing of uh, it's not the 80s. It's Oregon. Uh, but walking around, they still did have like not rotary phones, but they did have push button phone phones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And the computers... Actually, I don't recall any computers in the actual movie itself. Um, but I think, like... Yeah. Go ahead, Andy. No, sorry. I was just thinking about that as well. Yeah, it's definitely... Because mm. I think I only realized that it was... Or picked up that it was sort of set in that 70s, 80s. Because mm. I had also heard that it was set during then. But, yeah, there's no computers. Yeah, and they don't make no... a huge big deal out of it. I think, in a way, it, it stops no. it from being dated. Because any time you have a modern movie that's got modern technology... As soon as the new iPhone comes out, you're like, oh, this is now, exactly. this is a dated movie. And so um, it does, to me as an audience member, it does give it sort of a, a timeless quality. quality. Yeah. yeah, it's funny because I, I didn't think about this until Andrew just brought it up. I, I thought it seemed really obvious to me that it was set then, but maybe, yeah. maybe if I hadn't known going in, I wouldn't have picked it up. But the hairstyles in the cast <laughs> just seemed like they made a really good effort and I really liked it. Yeah. Is that, is that what it's like up there? I don't, I don't really know. The no, no, I'm gonna. My Oregonian friends are gonna. Uh, there's a. Um, there's a. Oregon has little pockets of hyper, hyper modern. Like Portland is a pretty modern place, even though it's um, uh, the dream of the li- the 90s is alive in, in Portland. Portland. Um, but yes. there are you know places back in the back where they're on purpose not first adopters or second adopters or third adopters. They'll wait until it's proven. Right, for right, 20 right. years and then they'll adopt it my wife did point out that it's not really set in the 70s it could just be yeah. uh, everyone in this town is very very much a, a new hipster that's yeah exactly the... it's actually no it's the sequel to Shyamalan's The Village <laughs> 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 but <laughs> instead of being Amish they're the 80s <laughs> now I actually want to see that sequel <laughs> I, would watch, I, would, I, would, I would watch that film um, um, so I, I guess this sort of leads on from the seventies thing. Like it felt kind of more, I thought I was positing that perhaps the reason they did that is mm. to make it feel in a line with, uh, a Spielberg emblem feel. Yeah. I wouldn't doubt that at all. Yeah. 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 If you, uh, you know, I watched, um, stranger oh. things recently and I mm. really enjoyed it, yeah, me too. but a lot of the, um, uh, creative choices in stranger things align with some of the creative choices in peace dragon. I think I wouldn't. Um, I think there is a Spielbergian feel to it without feeling like it's a ripoff, you know? Yeah. And I did, I wondered if there was, I, I don't know whether they're, I always hate doing this, where they, where they, oh, they're doing it as a marketing thing, but they wouldn't have known that Stranger Things was coming out, whether there was going to be a, has there been a resurgence that I missed? Has there been a, well, 80s? I think, that, you know, this stuff goes in cycles. And so we have, um, 
my chronology sense is terrible, but I think most of the Spielberg stuff that we really remember is 90s and 2000s. And there does seem to be generally a, a 90s nostalgia thing going on right now um, in the zeitgeist generally outside of films too. Um, and so I think it might yeah, just be, you know, a generational thing. The 90s were pretty terrible. Spielberg films in the 90s were terrible? Yeah. Which, what was Spielberg's great. 90s films? Hook. <laughs> was it the 80s when it was coming out with when was Jurassic Park 1? Well, 94 Sp- uh, right. 93. 93 yeah see that that's a good one Andy Jurassic yeah. Park Jurassic Park Schindler's List oh, I just meant the <laughs> 90s was, was um, terrible in general yeah. <laughs> Rather than oh you mean the 90s in general Nice. Oh yeah, nice. not '90s Spielberg. I mean, we grew Spielberg up in the '90s. Great, but I had the baggiest of the baggiest jeans and all the checkered shirts around. Ah, uh, nice, was, was nice, 90s. very good. The there you go. You'd fit right in in Portland. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Andy, did you, you did you enjoy the film as that? Actually, did you enjoy the film? You're not talking enough. Did I, I enjoy? You talk some more. Yeah, I mean, no, I I I loved the film. Um, it's uh, I struggled a little bit to get into it uh, to begin with. Um, less because of the film and more, and I don't know if you guys had this as well, I also experienced this with Star Trek Beyond, but so when Pete's off in the woods by himself for the first time and he's being surrounded by the wolves, the picture itself was just too dark. I couldn't actually, I almost couldn't make out what was going on. Really? I didn't, didn't wow. notice that in my cinema. <laughs> that, didn't seem, that wasn't yeah. a problem when I watched it. So it may have been um, more the cinema and watching it in doesn't perhaps hasn't replaced their projector bulb. It was very dark. Something like but, uh, I yeah, see but the it, I, again, but it was it was so dark, um, I couldn't really tell what was going on. It was just like in Star Trek Beyond when they uh, when Kirk and Chekhov go back to the the down saucer part of the Enterprise. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they're all running around. It, I couldn't tell what it was. So I it think that's your cinema in the cinema I'm, cinema yeah. I'm watching it in. Either that or <laughs> it, so possibly a brain tumor. It's funny how... Some... <laughs> no, I, 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 didn't, I didn't notice that, Andy. It didn't feel too dark for me. Um, mm. uh, visually, um, uh, uh, tonally, possibly too dark. <laughs> too dark. Yeah. That, that's a, that is a callback to old Disney films where you actually put your children in real physical danger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which um, yeah. we well, haven't done also, for a while. Wasn't there a... Um, it was a deer that caused the crash. It was like, oh, it's Bambi's revenge. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I want to note that car crash, man. That was great. That was so nice yeah. to handle. Oh, well, yeah, memory. they could have made that so horrifying that the ch- that the kids were just traumatized Traumatized, by it but the focus on the kid's face um pete's face and have him not look super traumatized while it was happening and then later on uh, after it's over and he's um walking away and it's about his backpack and you never see like oh his mom's brain is spread across the tarmac you you don't you don't see even like her hand or yeah nothing sticking out of the car and he's not um, he doesn't seem the character doesn't seem super traumatized by it, no. and so because the character because we're watching his face we're empathizing with him and since he's not super traumatized I don't think the the audience was, was super traumatized. Yeah, I, I watched it um, in the audience I watched it with there were there were lots of kids it was a daytime screening I went to mm. a preview screening there were lots of kids um they didn't react 
would shock and awe at the crash, mm. but there was a definite reaction when it cut to Pete's face and he was crying. He had a tear, yeah. and they were all like, I could hear lots of them go, oh no, like little kids yeah. in the audience going. Oh. Uh, whereas I, I had heard that the film started with a crash, mm. and I, I heard it. I, even though I'd heard it, been, it had been um, done. Uh, what's the word? Uh, it was done with uh, with care. Yeah. Uh, I was still sitting there going, "Oh no, I'm waiting for it to bed," and I'm going, "Oh, the kids are going to cry," and then it yeah, didn't happen. And, totally. and instead of me, totally. and it made me relax, and I was like, "Oh, that was really, that was really tastefully done." You know, yeah, for a exactly. Horrible car crash. It was exactly. Very impressive. Because uh, when you think back at like you mentioned uh, Bambi before Andy. The first, yeah. what is that, 10 or 15 minutes of Bambi are horribly, horribly <laughs> traumatic. <laughs> but because you start so low, then you get to raise high. As opposed to like in um, Finding Nemo, um, Nemo's 800 brothers and sisters are eaten in front of him. I don't remember that. I need to rewatch that again. Yeah, you might need to. Um, and his mom. Whoa. Yeah, and that's the thing that sets up why um, Nemo's dad is so overprotective, is because he was, you know, super in love with Nemo's mom, and they made eight hundred eggs, and then along comes a moray eel and just eats everybody. Uh, right. Eats them all up. Yep. I think they possibly <laughs> fade out, but that might be fishies a. Fishies underwater. Um, it's so cute. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Uh, young, young Pete was played by Levi Alexander He's a Wellingtonian We're in the city we're currently in Oh, That's mm. what they tell me in the newspaper I read this morning yep. Um, yep. Uh, And his mum and dad were also New Zealanders Ismae Myers and uh, a guy called Gareth Reeves Who in New Zealand f- TV and film sometimes Often plays sort of skeevy bad guys So it was quite, yeah. it was quite good to yeah, see yeah, him yeah. In that um, And I've I've worked a little bit with Esme before And she's amazing Yeah I didn't, actually didn't recognise Gareth Reeves at all Until I was reading the credits so I was like, like oh, oh right. wait a minute <laughs> Not skeezy this time Yeah 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 Not a weirdo Um uh, one one other thing in the in the credits uh, that I noticed on IMDb, uh, Craig Hall plays the uncredited adult Pete. When does that happen? Um, that was what? something that was in the script, and I imagine they probably filmed it. But um, they do have sort of this handoff thing at the end, where currently they've got young Pete, but he's got had a haircut. Yeah, yeah. Um, go and they yeah, find family, Pete's buddies. Family. Yeah. So both Pete and Elliot have found family. Yeah. Um, I think. Yeah. As I vaguely recall, it's been a while since I, I read the screenplay and I was looking for it today to share with you guys and I don't like it's It'll packed away somewhere. Um, but the um, I think there was a thing in the future where uh, adult Pete now has kids of his own and he takes his kids to meet Elliot. Elliot, right, right, right. Which was, I think, a I think I recall actually crying when reading the thing. <laughs> it was a, it was a, just a, you know, I read a lot of screenplays, and it's really hard to get me to emotionally engage with the screenplay because I've got all my analytical shit going yeah, on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, mm. But when in reading the screenplay, when Elliot looks in the window, and I think it's the midpoint, when the dragon looks in the window oh. and sees that Pete has a family, yeah, this, and oh, oh god, I just started weeping when reading the thing. You know, and he's a like, he's a, he's a puppy. He's, he's a puppy. Sad. He's a he's an abandoned puppy. Oh my goodness. Um, and then at the end, so so reading one screenplay and, and you know having that lone manly tear drip down my cheek. Could <laughs> you tell us? Do you remember whether that was a the, the adult play by Craig Hall mm. a replacement for the end, or was it in addition to? I, I think it was in the draft I read. And yeah. It, uh, so both, so I don't know if they shot happened. it. I if, if they, sh- I would imagine he's credited because they shot, shot it. it. Yeah, yeah. If yeah. they hadn't shot it, they wouldn't have. So it's a, it'll be an interesting thing because I feel like the way it ends is kind of perfect as it is. Because yeah. you get to see the actual yeah. actor that's playing Pete. And that's, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly, right. 
Um, I just mentioned that because uh, me and Andy have talked about Craig Hall in the past. He was the the biker gang leader of the what was it? How you describe that biker gang in the worst fast Indian Andy? Oh damn it! I don't know the most useless biker gang ever. <laughs> the, the most the, the are most... the ones on the beach at the beginning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 The most non-threatening biker gang I think it was. Yeah. The most They're non-threatening cool biker it. gang. Yeah, because yeah. he's, he's the Antarctic angels. Doesn't look threatening at all. Nice. It's like the Jets and the Sharks. Gangs have changed. <laughs> they, yeah. they sure have. They sure have. Um, I also, uh, seeing as you've got Steve on the... Uh, we're focusing heavily on you, Steve. I'm sorry. I hope you don't mind. Oh, you seem, right. you seem very well prepared with great answers, which is good. Uh, how was it working with the amazing Isaiah Whitlock Jr.? That was... Oh, yeah. He's, from he's the wire. Um, awesome. Um, he, when he came out... Um, at first, I think he was a little hesitant to really engage with me. I don't know, because um, we they put us both at this little hotel in Tapanui. Right. And there was a restaurant at the hotel, so we'd go down and have dinner. And um, I think he was expecting me to fanboy a bit more. Be like, um, the wire. We'll talk about the wire. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Say your catchphrase. Say your catchphrase. Um, you can't do that. You're, you're a New Zealander now. You can't yeah, do that. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. I got I to gotta chill a little bit. Um, <laughs> but that was an interesting thing. Like, he's a guy who... He's a classically trained actor and he's super smart and he's very good at it. But he said this one word that's extended out in a couple of Spike Jones movies. Spike, sorry, not Spike Jones. <laughs> Spike Lee <laughs> joints. And then because of those roles, he got this great role on the wire where also he had that, that line. same line. And now there's like a bobblehead. I bought the bobblehead and I took it around to the Pete's reshoots just so Isaiah could be there in spirit. Um, uh, but in a way, he's he's so much more than one extended profanity, you know? Yeah, yeah. And yet it opens doors for him. So I think it's a he's got a, probably a little oh, bit of a love-hate relationship a with the... <laughs> what's going on with that yeah two-edged sword yeah totally i used to uh know way back in the day um i was in an acting troupe with walter koenig uh no who way. played yeah who played uh Chekhov. Holy and shit. super nice guy this is the most but... exciting thing i've heard today <laughs> <laughs> uh super nice guy but you know at that point he had had what 30 years of star trek yeah, yeah, yeah. and uh, a classically trained very talented actor who could only get Star Trek related stuff. Mm. I think it's a similar sort of um, love hate relationship. Yeah, uh, uh, Bruce Campbell I think related that exact thing when he yeah. did like Moon was it Moon Forty Four with him back in like nineteen and ninety something. Oh right, it's, really? in the, it's in his book of Chin's Good Kill and like nice. He was like he was like Walter kind of a super nice guy, but clearly very tired of these sorts of yeah B grade genre films he has yeah, to be totally. put into. Yeah. Totally. Oh, poor Isaiah Whitlock Junior. Because I. Uh, I was hoping you would say his line, but we've we've been, we've carefully skewed it around that. So we'll just—he didn't say it in the movie. <laughs> didn't it? There, is, there is an outtake somewhere <laughs> with Pete Stragan him saying yes. it. Yes. Uh, he gave it good. <laughs> but he just went. Um, he was leaving Pete's to go, or had he just finished? Um, Spike Lee did a version of, uh, was it Clytemnestra? Yeah. Um. Uh, the. Liz Estrada. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Chirac. Chirac. And so he had uh, either was just going to do that or just coming back from that. And these are very different movies. Oh, he's in it. You know? It? Yeah, yeah. He's got it was, that, that. It hasn't come out here in New Zealand, I don't think. That I don't is on think the, so. Not a lot of critics, though. like top, top, top 10 yeah. of the year, you know? Yeah. That, that's on my list. I want to see that one very much. Uh, Andy, do you have anything else? I feel like I'm, I'm talking too much again. Go. No, I'm, uh, <laughs> I mean, one of the things that really struck me watching 
uh, Pete's Dragon, it's a similar thing when we uh, were talking about Slow West um, mm. in our previous episode, is just seeing New Zealand as New Zealand, but also not New Zealand. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I think the, the whole production team did a really good job of, you could, like it was, so it was obviously shot down south in New Zealand, but it also didn't, the way they did it, it was, didn't look like recognisably New Zealand, but, you know, for a New Zealander, you can still watch it and go, oh yeah, that looks like. Yeah, that's our place. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah Um, the production think... designer was Jade something, and I'm sorry, I forget her last name, uh, but she was super on the ball with everything. And um, one of the interesting things was, of course, when they're shooting, they have to shoot in um, trees that were brought here from somewhere else. So they can't do New Zealand bush. And so I think that affected their choice of where to shoot. Uh, And also, um, when we were shooting in Tapa Nui, uh, they wanted a um, more of an American uh, crowd. And so they had to bring in um, various people of color to be extras because quite a lot of um, right. the people that they found in Tapa Nui are uh, Scottish background. And so there are lots and lots and lots of white people and not a whole lot of anybody else. And they wanted to show sort of a um, more of a, a general um, more diverse mix of town. ethnicities. Yeah. So they, huh. had to, they had to ship in uh, black people. That's, that's really interesting. That was yeah. something that me and my wife really clearly noticed. Mm. We both commented after the film, yeah, thinking, right. thinking to ourselves, oh, we're very smart and clever, aren't we? We're like, <laughs> oh, that looked like a really diverse town for a Midwest American town in the 70s. Yeah. Yeah. When what you're telling me makes it sound like actually it, it, it would have been. Like it would have been more diverse. Yeah, it's um, um, Oregon is, is still largely white, uh, but um, it's, I think it's, it's, part of it is showing a, um, you know, uh, a good Disney version of a small town is ethnically diverse and not, um, um, homogenous. Yeah. Not homogenous and not scared of outsiders and not that sort of stuff, which a lot of small towns tend to be. I I made up a story about there was there were clearly uh, two guys that worked in Vumbi Yard and we saw them in a couple of shots. They were always together. There were two Maori fellas there. I made up a story in my head. They're like, oh, those two Maori fellas like traveled from New Zealand to work in the bush in America. That was that yeah. Was there you go. Because I have an uncle. I'm from I'm from Fiji, and we had uh, my uncle came to New Zealand to clear scrub. That was one of the things they oh, right. they got workers from Pacific Islands to come and clear scrub. So I thought, oh, that's what happened in their Oregon town. That's why there's two yeah, exactly. are there. Exactly. <laughs> they got them in there. To so be. they weren't playing Mexicans, is what you're saying? <laughs> well, they didn't. They didn't have any lines, so they might have been Mexicans. Yeah, pretty, hard to tell. Hard to tell. That's one of the things about being down there. A lot of the guys at the um, uh, lumber yard. A lot of those extras were actual real lumber workers. Oh, cool, cool. And it was freezing down there. And all of us actors, all of us speaking actors, were bundled up under seventeen layers of Gore-Tex. And these um, these guys who worked down there are like, oh, "You pussies!" <laughs> <laughs> they're just they're hanging out there in like a, a thin flannel shirt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. just super super tough people. Oh, that's cool. So they were actually actually lumber dudes. That's cool. yeah. Um and. Was that the the only thing I found? I found a, an article detailing um, on the New Zealand Film Film NZ website detailing like all the locations. Mm. They said Tapanui's old blue uh, lumber mill was that a working lumber mill? Uh, no, I think it had stopped oh, okay. working when they found it, but I'm not certain how long. So they had to they because it was working in the film, so they had to put all the machines back together. 
get it going. Yeah, I'm not it's certain how much it actually works in the film. Magic. I think they have some steam rising from some places and maybe some sound effects, but I don't uh, know if they actually, actually... You never actually see... So there's no treated timber at the end of the film. It's disappointing. Uh, yeah, actually, that's the thing, is we just built an entire town for... Re- no. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I thought it's gonna be the next Hobbiton. We're gonna yeah. build. Yeah, people come down to see the Pete's Dragon Town. It's so well. Exciting. That's the thing is, uh, <laughs> Tapa Nui uh, for a while had a big blow up Pete, a uh, big blow up Elliot. Uh, right. A oh, big blow up Pete would big be a completely up. different thing. <laughs> uh, a big blow up um, Elliot, and I think they might in their main drag they had to redo it with like an American style diner as opposed yeah, to a cafe yeah. and some American flags, and I think they might still have that. The American flags down there. are up. Yeah. Yeah, we were counting the American. There were like a lot of American flags in that film. Yeah, I think that's that's slightly not true. Uh, I grew up in big cities and in California, so I don't know if I'm a typical American. But um, uh, you you would see that many flags a few days out of the year, um, generally Fourth of July, (laughs) um, Remembrance Day, that sort of stuff. Uh, But uh, Memorial Day, I should say. Would it? Would it? Would, like, you're probably the wrong person to ask because you mm. just said you grew up in like Silicon Valley. But like, would it, would a it, lumberyard have an American flag flying? Well, <laughs> yeah, I, I think actually yes. Yeah. Okay. Um. Uh. The, you don't see the New Zealand flag flying. We don't. Of, we don't do that. Don't do a whole lot of that. No, no, but no. I, you know, I'm of the generation. We all grew up saying the Pledge of Allegiance. Right. And right, every right. classroom had a flag in it. And they, they and still do that. Still do that. I don't know mm-hmm. that they do. Um, back in, until the mid to late thirties, uh, American kids used to say the pledge of allegiance with a handout, with a handout. Steve is, Steve, this is audio. Steve is currently doing the Hitler salute. Yeah. So that's used to be how it was. And then (laughs) some guy in Germany adopted that same, uh, sort of salute. And we decided, uh, that's kind of a bad look to have our children doing that. And so that's when they put the, you know, put your hand over your heart, over your heart. Okay. Well, it might be it might be making a comeback. Who knows? Let's see how things go. Yeah, well, there's a reason I'm still in New Zealand, my friends. <laughs> <laughs> um, this film is currently rated uh, on Rotten Tomatoes. Mm. Uh, I hate doing this, but I've been doing this for the last couple of episodes. Mm. Uh, it's 83% from the top critics and 81% with the audience. Okay. I enjoyed it. The audience I watched it with clearly enjoyed it. Uh, I think it's. I've read a few reviews and a couple of negative reviews saying it's it's too saccharine, but I don't know whether that's true. I I felt like it wasn't saccharine. I felt like mm. it, it, it did saccharine. it well. I no, not at all. It's not too. It, it takes. I think it can be quite broad with the emotions, but as mm-hmm. in a good way. Mm. You know, the whole film is really about grief and getting over that grief, and so some things can go quite broad as. As they should do, to kind of, and it's and it's a kids' film. Yeah, I think that's the you know, the, so it's, the thing that occurs to me is that it it's a kids' film. It's not necessarily a four quadrant mm. um, thing. Um, there's definitely a, plenty in it for adults to like, but it's aimed really clearly at the kids more than a lot of yeah. say the the um, uh, like two thousands. Disney animation stuff was, which is full of inside jokes and stuff that goes over the kids' heads, but mm-hmm. the, the adults get. Um, or that, like, Pixar is really great at those four-quadrant stuff, but I don't think that everything needs to be four-quadrant. No. Um, and so For those I, of us who don't know what four-quadrant uh, is, could you explain? Oh, sure. Um, uh, the the four-quadrants are simply male, female, old, and young. Mm. So if you just think of a 
you know, a, a box that's divided in four things. You have male, old and young and female, old and young. And I think they define old and young at 25. So if you're over 25, you're you old. are old. And, um, and so a four quadrant movie is appeals to adults and children. It's the family film. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I, I get the feeling this is more, I can see why people, if they're expecting something different, might think that it was a, a bit emotionally manipulative because the emotions are so clear and present and clean mm. as you're watching them. Yeah. But that's just how kids experience mm. life. Mm. And so I think it's... it's especially, go ahead. Especially this kid, Pete, who's... Pete, yeah. yeah, Pete, who has been living off in the forest by himself for six years. Mm. Yep, totally. You know, so he's that's just kind of how a character like that is going to be. Especially yeah. if his best mate has been a big fuzzy dragon. Yes. <laughs> yeah, and, and I think the film is generally positively reviewed. I just felt there was a few people that were like, well, pretty much what Steve said, I think they're reviewing mm. it as an adult and not thinking about like what's aimed at kids. Like, yeah, I, I enjoy this film, but I, I think I have a, a couple of friends that are not interested in this sort of movie, and if I went in mm. with a bunch of my blokey mates together, we would be yeah, having right. a great time with it. Right, totally. And I think there's probably <laughs> a little bit of a, um, a pushback against people who wanted a more faithful remake yeah I don't, possibly. I don't know the original but i i, I read um, that it was a musical was it? yeah it was a musical absolutely mm-hmm. um it's a very different film then. yeah very different i mean that's kind of weird movie. isn't it because pete's dragon isn't one of you know the disney films it's not a pinocchio or a snow white or Union yeah but i think it's got a real like strong cult following yeah it, it right. is a film that i did not realize had this following at all I, mm. i'd heard of it but I never thought, like, when, when, when this remake was announced, I was like, oh, okay, cool. And then I was like, you know, you're on film Twitter and you read a lot of a yeah, lot right. of vitriol about it. <laughs> like, yeah, like, right. Like, as these... soon as it's announced. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. Who are these people? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I dare they remake the modern classic that is Pete's Dragon. <laughs> there, are some, there are some rip-roaring um, musical numbers in the original Pete's Dragon. Um, I actually, I started... Um, uh, one of the songs that uh, Mickey Rooney sings, he goes, he's drunk and he goes to a bar, but he's talking about having just seen a dragon. And the line, the the chorus is, dragon, it's a dragon, over and over and over again. And so I do think that, that they stuck in that um, that line in in the movie for Mickey. Um, I got confused. That's not the one... Oh, so it is, so it is, yeah. So it is live action with an animated dragon. It's live action with a hand-drawn... Uh, dragon. Right, right. So yeah. It leads into, I was just going to talk briefly about Weta's uh, role in this film. Yeah, great. So New Zealand, New Zealand we talk about New Zealand films and uh, this one was shot here, but mm. also all the digital effects were done by Weta, which is, everyone knows is a New Zealand based company. And uh, I fell in love with Pete. Like he's a, he's a puppy dog. Totally. The and, eyebrows. Uh, no, yeah. Totally. And like my, the the there's a the scene where where Pete first meets him when he's the young Pete, part of the New Zealand actor. Um, mm. and Pete and he's like, "Are you gonna eat me?" And and he's all like, "No," and puts his paw out for him to sit. In. Oh, My yeah. wife yeah. turned to me with her eyes, and she was like, she was crying, and I was like, <laughs> I was like, yeah. <laughs> they really got well, me. there's a beautiful moment right before that where uh, Pete reaches out and he touches the fur, and That's the fun. fur color changes, and yeah. you're like, "Oh, that their bonding just happened." Yeah, you yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. But it's so real. Like that's what I wanted to get down to. Like yeah. we're always talking about Gollum and stuff. And like, I don't know. So, sometimes you watch um, 
Gollum and uh, and, other, and even ILM stuff on a, on a mm-hmm. TV screen, it doesn't really work. Yeah, I get the feeling like Pete's Dragon. I have to wait for it, but I think Pete's Dragon is going to work on a TV screen. Like usually, that's that's my that's my barometer. Yeah, right. Where if no, something right. works on a on a movie, there's think, often you can get fooled in a movie do, theater. Do you think um, that's also to do with Elliot? Like, like his face is a little bit. I don't want to say cartoony, but it's not like there's obviously no kind of attempt at a kind of quote-unquote real dragon face would look like it's yeah yeah most of the real dragons like i've seen don't look like that <laughs> he he looks like a dog i mean he totally looks like a dog yeah. <laughs> they could you know weta having done smog yeah, yeah, yeah. uh this is a you know it's not like they could use any of the same frameworks or anything like that any of the same uh I don't know how it works but yeah I imagine um, not. it's yeah it's completely different body shape but he's a little chubby and he's hairy and and a fur is really hard to do as i understand it in yeah, um, yeah, yeah. in cgi and so uh they really i thought they nailed it they there nailed are some it. times oh, cool. when you're just when he it, like his head peeks up and he's looking in the nest because because pete's gone missing <laughs> and, and you just see the eyebrows going like where's my buddy where's yeah, the buddy yeah. it's, oh, it's terrible but yeah. awesome I, yeah, I um, I thought he was completely real. Um, mm. I did wonder like whenever there's a close up of Pete's hand in the fur, I'm like, is that is that real fur or is that is that Weta doing its thing? I don't know. But oh right, yeah, I don't recall ever seeing. The only thing we had to look at was a big, um, gr- greenish blob. Right. You on know, set. Right. on set. Yeah. So yeah. I don't recall any any practical props. Maybe I just wasn't around for those. No, I don't think it is. I think it's all because it's so uniform. I think it's. Mm. I think it's all. I think it's all work done by Weta. And uh, yep. and uh, I remember reading, thinking, "Oh, he's furry." The first time, and I was like, yeah. "That's a weird choice." But seeing the movie, I'm like, "Perfect." Yeah. You know, totally. David Larry director said he furry. wanted a yeah. dragon that people could hug. Yeah. Like, mm. Well, can you imagine the the. The merchandising if it was a scaly dragon it's so much harder to do the the stuffed dolls there was a the proudest moment i had on set was we were doing that dragon it's a dragon scene and it's me and isaiah and um they put us on the back of a um they did this car rig as opposed to doing a poor man's process or anything like that. They put a, the, the cop car that Isaiah and I are driving in oh, is it a on a rig, rig you yeah. know, low loader. No one can see it, but it's a, it's a, it's a car is on a, is on a trailer being essentially dragged by a truck. Yeah. And just surrounded by cameras and all that stuff. And so on the truck in front of us, we had uh, David, the director and Boyan, the DOP. And um, I think Jim, one of the producers went on and a bunch of other crew guys all hanging out and we had done it. And so they drive out half a mile. And so we kind of, we got what was necessary for the scene driving out, but we still had to turn around and come back. So it was like, just play, just have a, have a go. And so the, if anybody hasn't seen the movie, it's, um, uh, it's near the end. There's this big convoy of, uh, fire trucks and cops and stuff chasing, uh, Pete. It's chasing Elliot. Sorry. Um, and, uh, um, Isaiah plays the sheriff says, you know, we're on Millhaven road and we're, we're chasing after a, a, and he can't, doesn't know what to say. And, uh, my character says dragon, it's a dragon. And, um, uh, the sheriff says, you can't say dragon on the radio. And then I, off the top of my head said, well, what am I supposed to call it? A cross platform promotional opportunity. <laughs> and, and Isaiah completely in it said you can't say cross-platform promotional opportunity on the radio (laughs) and jim the producer cracked up and david cracked up and everybody else is like what what the hell is wrong with you (laughs) awesome we got the inside scoop this is great 
this would be the best podcast ever um <laughs> I, I noticed that we're we're going way over time we were recording way longer mm. than we usually do uh andy is there anything else you wanted to mention um Oh man, it's just, it feels like we can keep talking about this for, for another, you know, sort of 30, 40 minutes almost. I mean, we haven't even talked about the rest of the cast, like Bryce no. Dallas Howard. Mm. No, I mean, um, Car- Carla Barn is in it. He's in his own. Actually, he's entirely, he's entirely CGI. He's entirely CGI. I understand. Yeah, he was... That was some of the other excellent work that Weta did. <laughs> um, we should mention him because he's, he's a he's Kiwi. He's a Kiwi to be dude. Mm-hmm. And, uh, he's well, I, I understand there was another actor cast in that role. But then they couldn't make it for scheduling conflicts. Michael C. Hall. So yeah, the guy went, who played Dexter, Michael yeah, Hall. Yeah, that's right. Um, he unfortunately like, well, his mom got sick. Who's who's here? Oh, well, yeah, that's the thing is uh, Michael's mom got sick. I heard, and so he couldn't come. Ah. And this was not very long nice. before the movie started, and Carl was here, and so luckily for everybody, um, he said yes. That's and awesome. Just because he was in the country, you're like, oh hey. Yeah, I guess. Oh. You know, he's a recognizable guy. Yeah, they yeah, they yeah. need a recognizable person in the film. in that role. Well, and he's yeah, and he's great in that role because mm. it's it's he's not the villain, but he's very much the antagonist. Yep, totally. And there's there was quite a number of times where I was kind of yelling at the movie, Carl, you dick. <laughs> <laughs> I I feel like. That was the reason why it was set in the seventies. Was one of the other things I was positing mm. like it was like you know if it was set now we would all be like very like well you know it's a dragon, it's a natural environment we got to make sure it's protected and all yeah, that sort of stuff. Right, right, Whereas right. like Carl's Instant. got this idea to be like I'm going to exploit it and it's mine. And, yeah, exactly. and, and, and no one is going stop except for you know Pete and his mates. Except for the good guys. Yeah, except yeah. for the good, everyone else is like yeah sure. <laughs> I was like, I guess that's why it's the seventies. That that would ring. True yeah, it's the me. he's got the P.T. Barnum thing. This is how I'm going to finally make my name. <laughs> is I caught this. Thing. Like, that was yeah. his, his grand plan. Was like, Rob Reeves are like, what are you going to do with him? He's like, I'm, I'm going to make money. <laughs> Come on, <laughs> what do you want? So that that was that was that was great. I have a note here about um his uh. His gang of buddies, his hunter buddies. Mm, yeah, yeah. Uh, one of them is played oh, by yeah. uh, Phil Grieve, who I yeah. I worked on Fresh Meat, and he was he was in that, and I found him. He was only a small part, but I met him a couple of times. He was a nice nice guy, and I, he yeah, is a real New Zealand. Uh, we don't have we don't have a whole. I mean, we've got industry, but like he's got mm. a real character actor face. You know, people talk about yeah. character actors, and I'm like, definitely, oh, yeah. definitely. perfect, perfect casting. And yeah, Phil's a super sweet guy, and um, Aaron Jackson is another uh, Kiwi who is actually a real life fireman in his in his real job uh and then marcus henderson plays the third of those gotcha. guys and um three stooges uh yeah. the three stooges yeah and uh marcus is the guy in whiplash at the very end who's got the upright bass oh, who yeah. says to the drummer guy what the fuck are you, you doing, doing? <laughs> that's him oh, but okay. we all um uh it was interesting because they all uh, those three guys and carl hung out all the time and they were developing a friendship and we had this sort of backstory that my character, like we all went to high school together in a small town, but I was the nerd that didn't get invited to the prom and <laughs> and all that stuff. Uh, and so they could have, you know, they could have gone method with it and just been a dick to me, but they weren't. Right, and right, yeah. uh, Marcus had his uh, lovely wife and daughter uh, out for the shoot, and we would go over to the place of the, the house that they had rented for them. And one of the times we watched. Um, an old Twilight Zone, which was one of Redford's first things. And Redford, it was so awesome to watch because he's young and he's so beautiful. 
uh, and you know I'm 99.8% straight, and I totally would have gone <laughs> he's for a Robert. Handsome, he's a handsome man. He is a handsome man. And um, but the thing is, the character he plays is uh, the angel of death, who is convincing an old lady to come with him. Wow. And he does it as he's sitting on a bed, and he's totally like you can see young redford seduction game at work and everybody in the room is just a little weak in the knees <laughs> nice yeah the best stories dave yeah best hey stories. uh wes bentley i yep. thought I, I thought he did a good job but there's something about wes i guess because i i've seen him in what america was he in american, american horror and, uh, yeah okay and just recently in american horror american story, horror so. story yeah yeah okay. so it's got american in the title yeah, he's, it's gonna be a... he's he's generally a uh, bit mm. of a villainous type yeah, mm. there's a menace in his eyes, but I, st- I think he did a fine job. Uh, he he definitely had the most hips to look out of everyone. Yeah, he, totally. Well, he, he had the triple denim. Yeah, he, he had, had the, like he had the, denim pants, the denim Canadian shirt, and a suit. denim jacket. Yeah, oh, yeah, totally. yeah, that's right. The uh, we call tuxedo, that the Mexican yeah. tuxedo. Oh, the Mexican tuxedo. Well, I thought it was called the Canadian tuxedo. <laughs> yes. Okay. <laughs> but, um, uh, so, you know, I don't have anything bad to say about any of these people. He was super sweet. His parents came to the set once, and he just walks around. He introduced the parents to everybody it didn't matter to him whether you're a, um, a star or a, a supporting role like i was or somebody carrying around lights and stuff he's like hey this is mom dad and yeah, yeah, yeah so um yeah super nice guy he um he took a break in his career uh because he got famous too young so he's had some um uh, addiction issues and um he's back now and he's um he's great uh, he's killing it yeah mm-hmm. He's fantastic. He, he still has like a he, he has like a look of slight villainy about it. Mm. He has to be talking for me to, to, yeah. to, 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 not, <laughs> to not be like, oh, that's the bad Might guy. be the eyebrows, maybe? <laughs> was it? Maybe it's the eyebrows? Yeah, I was yeah, just thinking he's got, um, like, I have a bitchy resting face, resting bitch face. I think he has um, <laughs> resting villain eyebrows. <laughs> resting villain eyebrows. Yeah. That's, that's a... Uh, and, and one last comment about Bryce Dallas Howard, uh, mm. who I think is great. Uh, and... Her, her character seemed very believable. Like, I, I was mm. like, oh, you know, watching the trial, I was like, oh, I don't know how I'm going to take her as a ranger. But watching the film, I was like, oh, yeah. No, I take it. She's, she's a ranger. I got that. She's a, yeah, a ranger and a mom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah. know, which is funny because she had just finished doing the latest Jurassic, where she plays a super corporate sort of anti-mother. She doesn't want kids she and she's terrible kids. with kids yeah, and all yeah. that sort of stuff. So she's playing sort of Sam's role from the mm. first one. And... um which just shows what a good actress she is, because that's exactly the opposite of what she is. Yeah, yeah, yeah Like, yeah, she yeah. was the mom on set. She was taking care of all this, making sure we were all warm and had enough soup and felt good and all that sort of stuff. Super sweet. And she brought out her kids the whole time. And, um, um, yeah, just was a real sort of light and pleasant figure to have on set. Yeah. And there's, you know? there's a, there's a, um, her eyes are so, um, sincere, you know, like there's something yeah. about it when she's, when she's sitting, that's, she's that's CGI down. as well. CGI that's exactly. <laughs> the CGI, the sincerity into her eyes. No, no, no. That's just her. That's when, just her. She wasn't doing a whole lot of acting actually. This is just the, the warm person that the she, she is. The kids is the way she would speak to yeah. her own kids. Yeah. Yeah. No, she was, she was great. Well, just, and just, sorry, Steve, well, mm. um, you mentioned, you know, she was the, the mother. That's something that, um, we noticed when we watched it is there's not a living mother in the film Ah, right right all of the like biological mothers are dead Ah. yeah well yeah the story really is of two orphans um elliot is an orphan just as much as um pete is and yeah um, but then also the the little girl who was also fabulous oh yeah um, good point made a connection with her mum had died 
Um, and Bryce Dallas Howard's her mum had died. <laughs> yeah, right. Didn't pick up on that, Andy. Good spotting. Yeah, it's a, it's a real dead mum film somehow. <laughs> yeah, I'm wondering if this is like, if is this uh, an alternate Oregon that's a little bit like Logan's Run? Like, <laughs> as soon as a mom hits 40, they explode or something. <laughs> it's, it's the end of the month. Oh, that's interesting. That, that kind of makes, that kind of lends it a, a more um, modern air as opposed to a, a regular nuclear family. Well, yeah, I, I'm, really. I, I wonder how uh, purposeful or not that was on the behalf of the uh, writers and director. Uh, probably um, pretty purposeful, I would have thought. Yeah, I would imagine so. Because, I, I mean, it, uh, you know, I don't know it, enough about their yeah, personal like, lives to know if they have... choice to be entirely mothers? Or, yeah. Yeah, because where, where yeah. were the dads? Well, it's a little confusing. Where's, where's the girl's dad? That, that's Wes Bentley. That's Wes. Yeah. That's Wes. Yeah, yeah. And so yeah. Bryce is now the the yeah, yeah. pseudo mother because she's with And Robert Wes. Redford is her is her dad. Dad. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But they grew up hearing stories from Robert Redford. Like, yeah, about um, this Carla Barn and Dragon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. I gotcha. Because it's a small town still, sort of. Small town, they all know each other. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. I'm glad we sorted out the exact relationships between the characters <laughs> in the film after. But that's that's a really good point. The only thing that occurs to me is if you look at a lot of the old Disney animated movies, almost always that's a single parent. And that was simply because it was cheaper to animate one parent than two. Is it? Yeah. Oh, I need to go back and rewatch. Yeah, because you don't have to design an extra character and cast <laughs> them and all that sort of stuff. Um, but um, I wonder if for some reason that's a it, it helps it fit as a Disney movie to me, oddly. Huh. Yeah. These are the things I, need, I never thought about. And it makes me want to go back and watch Disney films. I need to. Yeah, there's a reason why you always kill somebody. Because <laughs> you don't want to draw them anymore. <laughs> okay. you, don't want to design, you don't want to animate them or pay the actor anymore. It's just, yeah, exactly yeah, right. Exactly right. Uh, I think on that note, we might have to start wrapping up. Eh? Um, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I feel biased. So we, can't, we can't be critical of films. Steve's here with us. Yeah, he said, no, go for it. If I, well, um, that's something I have noticed from listening to this podcast is you guys don't seem to actually like the movies that you review. So. We, we like some of them. <laughs> so a few of them. I think we like a most few of them. Of them. My, my wife has commented that we're, we're, we're more engaged when we like the film. I like this film. Uh, yeah, fair a enough. Lot. Great. But feel free to, to yeah, criticize it. I'm, you know. I don't have any criticism. Well, I mean, um, no, I mean, it's aside from it being a little dark in my theater. Mm. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's a terrible part of the film. I think we agreed that's just a brain tumor. Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, oh. my only thing was the Robert Redford thing, which I already brought up. Yeah, right. Uh, um, yeah, I mean, it's it's a little... I'm, I'm finding it a little bit difficult because I saw this a few weeks ago, so mm. and I wasn't involved on it, so um, I'm sort of having to stretch my memory back. And, uh, but I, I can't think of anything that I didn't enjoy about the film. I mean, I was fully engaged because, yeah, I was yelling at Carlo Barn on the screen. <laughs> for being so mean to Elliot. <laughs> yeah, I really enjoyed. Um, that was something I really enjoyed. I like. I like the fact that there wasn't a sneering Disney villain, like a stereotypical yeah, Disney. He's not evil for the sake of being evil. Yeah. 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 Which yeah you totally get. You totally understand where his character is going from. He's the younger brother. He's overshadowed. He's wanting to make his own mark. Mm -hmm. But then, he yeah he saves. Um, his brother and yeah, ultimately at the end, Rice he's a hero. Yeah, a very, a very heroic Caliban pushing down in a truck, <laughs> like letting his, <laughs> his his relatives jump out of the truck, saving their lives. But he doesn't do it in the end, but yeah, yeah, well, he tries. Very messy, That's though. what's important. <laughs> That's what's important. 
Okay, I think I think we're no, we're and it's up. I think Pete's Dragon. It's it's uh, it's a yeah, it's another uh, Disney live action remake that is just knocking it out of the park. Um, and they've got quite a few more coming up as well, so it seems to be working for them. What was the last one? This is actually the this is the second one this year. Was the other one? The the previous Disney remake was uh, the Jungle Book. Oh, right. Yeah, another boy being raised by non-human creatures. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. There's Just a lot of similarities between Pete and Mowgli. Yeah. yeah. Well, and then they've got uh, Beauty and the Beast coming next year. No, that's oh, the American right. Elections. <laughs> which one is Beauty? Uh, depends oh. on which side you fall down on. <laughs> this this podcast get political. <laughs> Beauty and the Beast. Well, and David Lowry, apparently, I heard he might be doing a Peter Pan. Yeah. That's yeah, he's what been I announced heard. as Peter Pan. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I don't think he's playing Peter Pan. That would be a whole different. Yeah, he's a useful looking guy. <laughs> well, if it, if people say this was a, a had some nods to Spielberg, what if he does a remake not of Peter Pan but of Hook? Hook. <laughs> I like Hook. I, I like Hook. I watched Hook at the right time. Are we time the only two people in the like world that like Hook? Rufio, Bangarang, baby, come on. Rufio. I totally loved Hook when I watched it when I was young. I don't know that I would now. Oh, you haven't mm. say. It's true. I haven't rewatched it. People, people hate that film. Sorry, we're going off on a tangent. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think I think we should wrap up, Andy. You you good? I'm I'm good. I've I've really enjoyed uh, talking to you guys about this film, especially you, Steve, with some fabulous stories. So thank you very much for coming on and nattering away to us. Thanks very much for letting me. Um natter at you yeah it was great it was you're the you're great great to have a, a guest that was involved in one of the films we're talking about uh, yeah thank you where, where can they find you online uh, where can they find me online um i'm on twitter as bar steve um probably yeah. that's the best b-a-r-r-s-t-e-v-e correct mm-hmm. and andy uh i'm on the twitter as uh, andy james underscore inc that's with a k and on the instagram not the snapchat though not anything else. Is there another thing? There's that, that's all the things. I'm 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 on the Twitter at Rajivfilm R A J E V F I L M. We've set up a Patreon, so if you guys want to help us out with that, you can go visit us and uh, maybe give us some money. Great. <laughs> Keep us with the with the costs. Uh, and uh, this is actually our final episode of this season. So oh wow! Thanks for joining us, Steve. Fantastic. Great way to go. Yeah, out. thank you for joining us for our final episode for this for this season. Uh, hopefully Andy will be with us away from the Cayman Islands we'll, we'll see well, once we figure out the next season but well do you back. know what your theme for the next season is? we're still thinking about it we're thinking about it interesting I've got some ideas okay. we'll, um, we'll talk to you all then okay awesome catch you around cheerio